morning. Today's reading comes from John 10, 1 through 21. I assure you that whoever doesn't enter into the sheep pen through the gate, but climbs over the wall, is a thief and an outlaw. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The guard at the gate opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Whenever he has gathered all of his sheep, he goes before them, and they follow him, because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, but will run away, because they don't know the stranger's voice. Those who heard Jesus use this analogy didn't understand what he was saying. So Jesus spoke again, I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. That's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. He's only a hired hand, and the sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I give up my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that don't belong to the sheep pen. I must lead them too. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me. I give up my life so that I can take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I give it up because I want to. I have the right to give it up. I have the right to take it up again. I received this commandment from my father. There was another division among the Jewish opposition because of Jesus' words. Many of them said he, is, he was a demon and has lost his mind. Why listen to him? Others said, these aren't the words of someone who has a demon. Can a demon heal the eyes of people who are blind? Guess I got to put that back on. Hey, so John chapter uh, ten here. We're getting into it. And have you ever like heard just a little, a little bit of a conversation somebody's having? You just hear a word or two, and like you jumped to an idea of what what you thought the conversation was all about, and maybe you even spoke into it. Maybe you even tried to correct the conversation, and only to realize you did not know what they were really talking about to begin with. Um, we're we're going to actually find that in this passage a little bit, that we might have jumped into this over our Christian years, putting some meaning to this, and Jesus is saying, well, I, I meant something entirely different. And so you'll see, I think that's surfacing as we get going. I think the best thing to do is let's recap a little bit chapter 9. Jesus heals this man who was born blind. And after Jesus heals him, there is this interaction. In fact, there's three different interrogations from the religious leaders to this man, and then one to the man's parents. And they're all really trying to wrap their head around, how is this guy actually made well? 
And we don't want to acknowledge that it was Jesus that did this because then we got to acknowledge Jesus is something special. Maybe he's even from God. So they have this battle and this interaction. And they're, what they're trying to do also is eventually get the, the man to say that he's a follower of Jesus. Finally, the man's so frustrated in the questioning that he actually says he is, and he's immediately expelled from the temple. So that's kind of where we're at here. This is right after this happens. The man's expelled from the temple, and then we find Jesus, who's not welcome in this area already, meets, uh, it, it meets the religious leaders who are putting this guy out in uh, just outside the gates of the temple. And so that's where we pick it up. Chapter 10, verse 1. You'll notice it kind of starts in mid-paragraph. What I challenged you with before last, uh, or last time we were in John, two weeks ago, I should say, when we were in John, that you would actually go and you would look up the end of chapter 9 and let that be your personal devotion. So I hope, hope you did that or will this week. Hey, let's understand the setting of what we're talking about here. So if you have your sermon notes, take a look at those. I've given you a little bit of help there. They're at the sheep gate. Now, let's understand the sheep gate for just a second. The sheep gate is where the sheep would go into holding for either going into the temple or out of the temple because they were blemished. So that is this holding area. These were, uh, these were sheep that would have been used for worship. And so either going in or going out. If they were blemished sheep, they would go out and they would be put in the pen. They didn't really need to be cared for uh, uh, in, in uh, the way that the sheep going in would be cared for, but they were still put into this pen. Now, when we think of pens, especially if you've spent any time on a farm, like we think of wood posts ever so long, right, or ever space in between, and then wire drawn to each post, and that's kind of a fence, right, or a pen that you would keep them in. Theirs looked a little bit different. These were very tall stone walls, and you couldn't see into the pen. The, the sheep would have been behind it, but these are very tall stone walls, and there would have been some type of wood door, and no windows on the wood door. It's not like our glass doors we have here at the church. And so if you needed in, you would either knock, there might be a certain kind of knock, or it would be your voice. You would speak, and they would know by your voice whether you were someone who would be allowed in or not. At my house, I can be sitting down on the couch, and I'm so familiar with it that if somebody comes down the stairs, whether it's either my two sons or my daughter or my wife, or even the exchange student that lived with us for three years, I would know right away who it was coming down the stairs just by the sound of them coming down because you hear it over and over and over. They would do this with the voice. They would hear the voice and they would know if this was someone to open the door for or not. So that's kind of the setting. Here is a place where those sheep who were blemished that were sent out... And this man has been expelled from the temple for being a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is choosing this setting to now talk about being uh, a shepherd and a gate and then a good shepherd as well. He says in verse 1 there that a thief climbs over those walls 
and gets into the pen. A, a, a thief doesn't go through that. A thief can't get away with, with the voice ID. They go over the wall. And so Jesus is speaking here. But here's the interesting thing. Who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to the religious leaders. The text actually tells us that, that he's speaking to the Pharisees here. So Jesus is very subtly saying this as he's speaking to them. He's saying, uh, look, he's speaking to the Pharisees about his sheep in this passage, essentially calling the Pharisees thieves or outlaws as the pastor, as the pastor passage tells us there as he's speaking to them these are my sheep and thieves everyone else comes over the wall to try to steal so that's the setting that's the setup and if you're a pharisee if you're a religious leader and you're hearing this already um, you might be you might be a little on edge as it is and then jesus launches in to what some people call the I am statements. Have you ever heard that in the book of John? Um, people say the seven I am statements. Um, listen, in reality, there's more like, like 30 or so. Uh, we've already gone through John for half a year. You've picked up on I am statements already. It is true that there is this set of I ams that, that kind of flow together. They make a really nice sermon series if you want to go through them. But in reality... Jesus has already about 14 times said, I am something up to this point. Remember, I'm bread of life. Uh, you know, we've already seen that a couple times. And so these just add on to it. So Jesus jumps into these, verse 2. Let's, let's just take a look at this. And then I want to, at the end of each little section, I want to just ask us a question that we might wrestle with for ourselves. It says in verse 2, the one who enters through the gate is what? the shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus is saying in this setting, there's the, the wood door, here's the stone wall. It's like the one who goes through that wood door, that's the shepherd. Nobody else has business to go in there. The shepherd, the one who will go get his sheep and take his sheep. Now he's not just referring to the temple gate here. He's using that setting. He's talking about sheep pens in general. That to go in there, you are the shepherd. And so that, you would have business. Verse 3 actually says that the shepherd speaks. When the shepherd speaks, that's significant. Something is heard. There's a recognition and an ID that comes when the, there's a speaking. Kind of verse 3 and 4, even go further with that and say the voice is recognized. Do you have somebody that calls you? And when you pick up the phone, they say, hey, it's me. And you know right away who me is because you know the voice. You might know how they say what they say. It's the same thing that's happening here. The voice is recognized. That is the shepherd. And he says, look, when the sheep hear that voice, the sheep will follow. Jesus is actually saying the sheep even recognize the voice of the shepherd. Now, I had to do a little bit of research on this uh, a couple weeks ago when I was starting to sit down. Uh, I just want to know, is, like, is that really true? Because I've heard that preached my whole life in a passage like this. Like, you know, sheep will actually know a voice and will follow a voice. But I wanted to check it out. And so I did a little research, made a phone call, and sure enough, sheep are to some degree, as this person told me, very smart, and on another hand, very stupid. 
So uh, I guess that lives in the same word. This is this person's words, or lives in the same world. But they understand the voice. And then I got to thinking of my house, right? If Sierra says to her cat, come on, Jessamine, let's go. Jessamine will trot right behind her up the stairs. Jessamine will look at me like, like, you know, what? If I try to do that, like, leave me alone. I don't know who you are. But if my cat, Dale Murphy Raven, if I say, come on, Murph, let's go, then Murphy will trot up the stairs with me. So the voice is recognized, and verse 4 tells us the sheep will choose to follow that voice. But notice that Jesus says in verse 5, but they will not follow a stranger's voice. If a stranger comes and says the same exact thing, me to Jessamine, come on, Jessamine, nothing. They don't follow that stranger's voice. Think about what John has already been teaching us. From the very beginning, remember John chapter 1, verse 1 at the beginning? In the beginning was what? The Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word, the word was God in the beginning. Everything that came into being came through what? The Word. And we've learned that this Word is God's voice. And it is Jesus in human form, is the voice of God. And then we've learned more about the breath and the breathing and the speaking and the spirit. All of this speaks to the same thing. And now Jesus is using the word voice to signify this. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but they will follow the shepherd's voice. When you clearly recognize Jesus' voice, I think everything else becomes strange. Everything else becomes stranger when we hear and really recognize Jesus' voice. I can think of these distinct times in my life where I heard Jesus' voice in a way that I had not heard it before. Like I'm reading the scripture or I'm in prayer time and I hear that, not audibly, but you know, you hear that and you go like, man, that is, that is so convicting. That is so from God right now. That like it's altered some things. Like I do stuff different because of hearing about that. Now I was in youth group still, and maybe some of you my age are, where we were doing uh, like cassette and CD burning parties. Do you remember that? So you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know, and youth group would have some night where you know you brought all your your non-Christian music and you throw it in the fire, and those those did nothing for me those nights. You know. Like, I participated because there was probably pizza, too. But, like, they did nothing for my heart or spirit or anything like that. But I'm driving down the road one day. And I'm about a, I don't know, senior in high school. Maybe I was a freshman in college. I can't remember. And I'm listening to some of the, you know, the old glam metal, which I loved. And I'm listening. And it just hit me. Something I'd listened to over and over and over, which I won't say today because it would be very inappropriate in church. Inappropriate anywhere. But I heard it. And I'm like... That is so, that is so sexual. That's so degrading. That is just so not God. And in that moment, Jesus spoke to me in a way and just said, Tom, what are you receiving in? And he's talking in form of music. What are you receiving in that's cycling through your heart and mind over and over, sometimes out of your mouth? What are you doing here? 
And that altered the course of what I chose to let come in and to spin around in my head and in my heart. When you clearly recognize Jesus' voice, everything else seems strange. So the question for us in this section would be, what voice are you hearing and following? Is there a voice that you let be prominent that you're hearing? And usually the voice we're hearing is the voice we get behind and we start following, especially if we're letting ourselves hear it enough. Jesus switches gear a little bit. He uses a different metaphor kind of in the the same family here. He says, I am the gate. Now he's talking about that gate. I am the gate, verse 7, and he says it again in verse 9. If the sheep are going to go somewhere, they have to go through this gate, through the gate into the pen or through the gate into the temple or out of the gate back with the shepherd where they'll go somewhere. They have to go through this gate. There's a double meaning here, though, because the temple itself was referred to as the gateway to God, that gateway. Like we have the gateway city, you know, we think of that terms. The temple was the gateway to God. It was understood that way. So Jesus talking on two levels, using a physical setting, is also saying, look, I am the gateway to God. If you're my sheep and you're following me, I'm the gate. You go through me to get where you need to go, to be with God. He says in verse 9 that those who go through the gate are are what? They're saved. Now, we got to understand that phrase for just a second because here's what we think of when we hear the word saved. We think of, oh, they say a prayer. They say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. You know, forgive me, all that. That's prayer. And then we move on. We say, I am saved now. But this is what they would have known it to be, simply this. They're not snatched away. They're not taken away. You are saved from being snatched away or pulled away. Jesus is basically saying this. If you enter through me, look, you belong to God, and you will not be snatched away. That's what he's saying about saved. He's already talked about thieves and outlaws. You will be saved from them if you go with me through me here. And uh, he says in opposition that a thief comes for a different purpose. A thief, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But who's he saying this to? Now, if you're like me, probably most of the time you've ever heard this passage talked about, it has said a thief, or it's been translated sometimes the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You've heard it that way. And so we have these pictures of Satan himself, right, Um, is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And I suppose indirectly you could say that. But who was Jesus talking to? Jesus in front of the Pharisees and the religious leaders is saying to them, you're thieves. You are still killing and destroying what God has to offer these sheep. And then he says, that's not why I'm here. I came to give life, verse 10, to give life, life to the fullest, more life than you can imagine. Now, listen, I don't think 
I want to be careful with the religious leaders. I don't think the religious leaders are walking down this, and they're like having a meeting, and they're saying, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to go out, and we are going to still kill and destroy everything they have to offer. They inadvertently got on this path. Some of it was motivated by their own power and authority they had and their leadership and their wanting to lead. Some of it was just getting off track. Some of it was misinterpreting the scripture. And some of it was just flat out sin, disobedience to God. All of this mixed together. And I think it's sometimes they were inadvertently stealing, killing, and destroying. In fact, there are sometimes when what the Pharisees were seeking to do and trying to do was good. And yet, inadvertently, they seem to heap legalism. They seem to be threatened by authority. And these other things we've discovered in the book of John. And they inadvertently still killed and destroyed. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here. But that he came to give life. Here's a question. How do we inadvertently let life be stolen from us? How does that happen for us? Are there some things that are grounded in good, and yet when we give ourselves fully to those things, they do not bring the life that Jesus brings? Here's what I think. We are more often tripped up as Christian by those type of things than we are by some seemingly blatant evil attack that's clearly a choosing between right and wrong it is more these inadvertent things that we allow life to be stolen from us can i tell you as a pastor as i read this passage one of the greatest convictions and you may not have the same conviction but i read this i'm like i don't want to inadvertently steal kill or destroy in you the life that jesus came to offer you I don't want to be a barrier to you coming before God, to offering yourself to God, for hearing from God. I want to be like the Pharisees were supposed to be. We talked about two weeks, uh, two weeks ago. They were supposed to usher people into that worship and allow them and show them how. That's what I want to do. He goes on. He says, now I'm the good shepherd. And you may say, oh, he's just kicking it up a notch here, you know, I'm the good shepherd. I'm good here. But that's actually a phrase they would understand to be a good shepherd. They had good shepherds in their thinking, in their history. When they would teach uh, the Old Testament to their kids, they would speak in terms of the good shepherds. Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David, these were good shepherds. And then they would say they were good shepherds. And then they'd go on to describe why they were good, what they did how they followed, how they led people too. So they would actually use that term shepherd to not only talk about animals in a field, but to talk about how they obeyed God, followed God, and led the Israelites early on. So this phrase was understood, and Jesus uses it to describe himself. I am a good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Right away, they understood who he was describing himself to be. He says, look, I'm not the hired hand. It's interesting that he would bring that up, verse 12 and 13. I'm not the hired hand. Here's what he is getting at. He is saying this, and you picked up on it in the passage, a hired hand is only going to go so far. If you hire somebody to do something, they're only going so far with it. 
It's kind of that phrase, I don't get paid for this. Do you know that, that phrase? At some point, you're going to say, listen, I don't get paid for this. Or the phrase, this is not worth it, right? I mean, I don't get paid enough for this. Or I don't get paid to actually do this. That's somebody else's job. Or my job description ended here and they want me to do here. You know, that kind of thing. But clearly Jesus is speaking in something they understood. When you hire somebody to look after your sheep, they may or may not go all the way with it. And Jesus describes it in terms of when a wolf comes, I mean, they're out, right? Like, I don't get paid for that. You know, to wrestle a wild animal? No, I don't think so. I'm out on that. But Jesus says, I know my sheep. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Listen, this is where you want to do your, a little bit of research in your other religions of the world. And see if there's this you know, deity being, this Messiah or Savior being in anyone that speaks in this term, that I know my sheep and my sheep know me. This is relational conversation here that Jesus is speaking. I mean, understand what Jesus is saying is, Jesus knows you. He knows you. He knows you. Our question is, do you, do you know him? Do you know him? Not know of him. I know of a lot of, uh, a lot of things. In fact, uh, I went with Ray over here to the golf tournament on Friday here in town, and I know of a lot of those golfers. Because I watched golf and I knew the names. In fact, Ray said, you're watching too much television. No, because I was saying this golfer and this golfer, and da, 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 right? But I don't know any of them, not a single one of them. We had about a five-minute conversation with one of the golfer's wives as we were walking. It was all of three of us walking with that group, you know, her, Ray, and I. But I still don't know that guy because I had five minutes conversation with his wife. Jesus says, I know you. Do you know him? Do you know him? It's available. He is available to you is what he's saying. In fact, Jesus is actually saying, look, I'm available to everyone. It's not just like a church person, churchy kind of person I'm available to. It's not just like the moral person. It's not the person who's doing, I'm available to everyone. In fact, he says it right after that, verse 16. I have other sheep and other pins. He's speaking metaphorically. I've got other sheep all over the place that I I'm going to be their shepherd. In fact, one day, it'll be one pin and one shepherd. So Jesus is speaking further with that. And then he lets us know how far he's willing to go with this. Verse 17, he tells us that he will offer his life for this. He says it two different times. Translation, I'm willing to go all the way for this. This shepherd role that I have, I'll go all the way to the end for my sheep. For you, for me, what he's saying there. A question for us would be, how well do you know Jesus here? Do you know this shepherd who's willing to go all the way for you, even to the point of laying down his life, wrestling the wild animal, working the long, long shifts, being in the wilderness, maybe with not a whole lot of food or water, on and on and on. Jesus is saying, I'm willing to go all the way with this. How well do you know Jesus? Well, there's this final section, and it's similar to a couple others we've already studied here already. There was another division because of Jesus's words. 
And at this point in John, we might say, hmm, I kind of expected that. Now, some people thought one thing, some people thought another one, some were with him, some were against him, some said, hey, you know, great words, some said, you know, you're the devil, um, we've seen that already. We get a similar type of setup here. Why? Because Jesus' words call for action, some form of action. They call for people to believe something. They call for them to do something. They must almost always, listen to this, are a choice between this or that. Almost always, Jesus' words are a choice. Jesus are what the Pharisees are offering. Jesus are what our world is offering and suggesting. Can't be both. Can't have both. Listen, Christians are trying real hard in our contemporary culture, to mix and try to make it both. It just makes for weak Christianity. And that's why this division always popped up. In fact, it was so much so that look at what they call him. They said, well, you you must have a demon if you're speaking this way. Now, I want you to understand what they're talking about here, because when we think of that term demon, I don't know what you picture. Did you picture like, you know, a little red character with, you know, I don't know, horns or something and a and that type, of, um, that type of character that we've seen in movies and TV shows and on and on and on. One of my favorite comics ever is from The Far Side. Do you remember The Far Side? Maybe you read it. Um, and it's got a guy with a wheelbarrow just walking in hell. There's flames everywhere. And he is whistling this delightful tune, apparently. And there's two demons up there saying, we're just not getting through to that guy. <laughs> this is my favorite, favorite one. You just think about it. You'll laugh later okay. If you don't, well, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. That's what we think of when we think of demons. Here's what they would have thought. This is what the definition is. A demon is something you give authority to, yet it harms you. That would be a demon. Something you give authority to in your life, yet it is harming you. Jesus is talking again about these Pharisees, these religious leaders giving authority to them, and yet Jesus views them as harming the people. Question, uh, do you have a demon? Do you know a demon? A person maybe in your life, you give them authority and they harm you? Maybe it's the way you spend your money, what you spend your money on. Maybe it is your music, TV, movies you watch, the influences you allow in. Maybe it's the you-do-you mentality that's so prevalent today. Or even something that is, seems like it starts out in good and healthy, uh, but it goes somewhere else. The, you know, self-care, you know, just do your self-care, which can start in something that seems like truth and it can go into selfishness. A demon is something you give authority to, yet it harms you. And Jesus is saying, well, that's not me. Can a demon heal? Can a, a demon give life? Where there wasn't life, that's not what a demon does. A demon harms and takes away. I am giving life. So the question we'd ask ourselves here is, is anything serving as a demon in your life? Is there anything that's serving as someone who actually steals away that life Jesus wants to offer it, and you're the one giving it authority in your life? You're the one opening up the door to allow that in, to have access. 
There's so many things like that that we put in the neutral category. Have you heard that term before? This is good. This is bad. Do this. Stay away from this. But there's this whole big middle category that's kind of neutral. It's just neutral. It doesn't really harm you, help you. It's just in the middle. That thinking didn't exist, not in biblical sense in the New Testament. It was we are with and for God what blesses him and helps us. Or, and they would actually use the term, they'd go so far to use the term evil if it wasn't that. Is there anything serving as a demon in your life? Here's a takeaway this morning. Let me give you a quick recap of what we just said. Jesus is a good shepherd who speaks to his sheep, knows his sheep, would die for his sheep. So, question, why would you offer yourself to anything different than that? Why would we offer ourselves? Why would we even amen the statement, yes, he's a good shepherd, yes, he speaks to his sheep, yes, he knows his sheep and would die for them, and then allow ourselves or offer ourselves to anything other than him and what he has to give? That's what this passage is getting at here this morning. And as I read it, I look at this and say, man, what a conviction on the heart of the pastor who's the closest to this Pharisee here to lead people to know Jesus and to know God and not steal away anything God has to offer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your challenge. Father, if there be anything that is stealing away the life that you have to offer us, if there be anything that we're actually, we're the ones opening the door, we're giving demon access, giving them authority, and they're harming us. Father, this morning, would you make it clear to our heart? Would you open up our eyes that we would see it? Would we then confess if confession needs, or maybe it's just open our eyes going, oh, I didn't even know. And would you help us to then, the word repent, to just turn away from and look towards you? Could we name it by name this morning? Lord, maybe so far as we might need to just write it down, pen and paper, post it somewhere that we see it regularly. And then, Lord, would you lead us? Would you help us to see where you're offering, what you're offering, and in what ways you're offering it that we might receive? We pray in your son's name.